You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer, sitting in the hosting chair this week. And uh, this week's panel, uh, we've got Will Doran of the News and Observer and PolitiFact and Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer joining us this week to go through a busy, busy week of uh, politics in North Carolina. It is getting closer and closer to the election now. And of course, there's uh, news dropping left and right, it seems. We had the uh, start of early voting this week. We had the final uh, debate both for the presidential candidates and the final debate for the candidates for governor this week. Uh, we had lots of uh, interesting statements to, to look at on the, the fact-checking side. So uh, plenty to talk about. And I guess we'll start out chatting a little bit about the uh, early voting launch this week. Um, Craig, you checked in, I guess, with some of the, the counties uh, locally. Were, were we seeing pretty big turnout, uh, at least on, on day one on Thursday? Yeah, absolutely. On day one, we, we saw a big turnout. And I kind of wonder why everybody chooses that day to, to, jump, to jump in, uh, because uh, there were uniformly long lines, apparently like an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, even. I heard two and a half from one person wow. up in Wake Forest. I yeah. think that was probably an outlier. but Yeah. And uh, Durham County, they were... they thought they were doing brisk business too they were having <clears throat> about 30 minute waits most of the day after starting out with an hour and a half initial wait but i popped in at the one uh, i guess probably the farthest one north in raleigh up near uh, it's the lakeland community center and uh sort of i thought i'd just kind of swing by in my car to see if there's anybody there to talk to him and i couldn't believe it there was like a half mile of cars parked on both sides of ray road all the parking lot was full it was close to 200 people there and uh and they were estimating about an hour wait at that time. But people were relaxed and kind of joking and talking and looking for diversions. And, yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's going to be kind of a cathartic experience. You know, yeah. I think that's why yeah. we might have seen such long lines. People just, they want to get it over with. They want to say, I'm Wash done. their hands of this election yeah, entirely. I can, I can turn off cable news now. I yeah. can I think start paying true. attention to baseball instead. I heard instead. some reference to that. It was like <laughs> taking a shower finally after this kind of dirty election season. Yeah, I talked to one woman at the uh, the downtown Raleigh uh, election site, and uh, she was walking out. So I was like, so how long did you have to wait? Oh, it was about an hour and a half. And she's like, I probably got a parking ticket. But you know what? It was worth it. Like, she didn't seem at all concerned that... Her, uh, her time spent down there was far more than she'd probably anticipated, but um, I guess that's just the, the goal of getting there early. There were some people, I guess, who'd camped out. Craig, you ran into somebody who uh, had camped out on the wrong day. So. Yeah, she showed up on the day early and was very proud of herself. She showed up at the Lakeland Center at 7 a.m., took a selfie, uh, posted that on Facebook to brag to her friends she was going to be the first one in line. She said she sat there working on her laptop in the, in the car, I guess, uh, for the longest time, and began to wonder after an hour where everybody else is and she saw a staff person come in and uh finally she uh, thought i should have been catching these red flags all along but i didn't and she said i'd probably get an a for effort yeah well i guess it was the the challenge of figuring out exactly what was open early voting wise well you stopped by a place that uh will eventually host early voting yeah, but was you know, not on the day f- that people were showing up there thinking they could vote i've got to humble myself a little bit even us journalists don't get it right all the time i was actually out in uh, wendell on thursday and went to the community center there which i knew had early voting i was like like, okay, well, I'm here anyways. I'll go check in, see how many people have voted already. It was around lunchtime. And silly me, didn't realize that it wasn't actually open for early voting this week. Um, and so I, I was like, why are all these children here? Where are the voters? <laughs> you know? um, and, uh, and yeah, actually a lot of 
early voting places don't open until the 27th, which is uh, this coming Thursday. Um, and I, I don't have the whole list off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's on the State Board of Elections website for everyone to get their you know details straight. But I mean, after after I got confused, I decided to kind of sit in the parking lot and you know spy on other people getting confused. And I, I sat there for less than five minutes and saw probably seven or eight other people come up and made the exact same mistake I did. Think that, okay, cool, we can go do early voting now. Oh, wait, never mind. It's not actually open. <laughs> yeah, and there were some concerns about this. There was actually a um, court uh, briefing or, or filing that was resolved this week from the attorney for the uh, Clinton campaign who was representing a, a number of voters who were concerned in certain counties where the early voting schedule felt like they felt like were, was inadequate. One was, I think, closest to here was Nash County, uh, where they their first week they only have one side open, um, and it's in Nashville, which is the county seat, but the largest city in, in uh, Nash County is Rocky Mount. Um, so Rocky Mount, I think, apparently had some early voting sites, but they're in the Edgecombe County side. So you could be in, live in Rocky Mount, try to go to your nearest early voting site, be told you live in the wrong county, and mm-hmm. then sent to a location at least 20-minute drive away, probably without any, any public transportation. So there's concern about that. I did call out there yesterday to Nash County, um, and the, the Board of Elections guy for, for that county said they had a pretty huge turnout in Nashville um, uh, without a whole lot of a wait, but a fairly sizable number of voters going through that location. So it doesn't seem like that uh, problem may have affected turnout too much. And there's some concerns about the lines in Charlotte, that they had fewer sites than they've had in, in years past. Um, Wake County, uh, if you were glad that the line was an hour and a half and not um, three hours or six hours or whatever, um, you can thank uh, the, the one Democrat on the um, Wake County Board of Elections, Mark Izell who uh, lobbied against original plan to only have one site open in Wake for the first week. So um, I think there was ultimately like there were at least five or six sites um, to, to spread out the 12,000 or so people who, who tried to vote on the, the first day of, of early voting. Um, and, and he was able to uh, oppose that plan, get the State Board of Elections to side with him as opposed to the two Republicans on the board. And, and as a result, there was more than one option for, for early voting yesterday uh, in, in Wake County. So that's uh, I guess one aspect of it, and then the other was the storm um, had 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 some sort of impact, um, although not as much as we thought. Uh, Lynn Bonner had gone down on Thursday to talk to some folks in the Hope Mills area of Cumberland County, which was uh, pretty hard hit by the flooding. I was actually down there over the weekend uh, doing a story on that, and uh, she talked to some people who were really, really jazzed about voting despite the the hardships that they faced in the last uh, year or so. I think she talked to a couple people whose homes had experienced some damage, who had lost their cars as a part of uh, the, the flood damage, uh, yet they were still down there, and the most memorable quote in her story was that somebody uh, I guess was going to go swim to the polls if necessary. She was so <laughs> yeah. eager to vote. Uh, so certainly a lot of enthusiasm for, for early voting, even in parts of the state where uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks for, for folks out there. It should uh, certainly guilt trip anybody who isn't sure if they're voting or not or when yeah. they're voting. <laughs> yeah, if, if your car has not been flooded right. out, right. Uh, you really don't have an excuse. People who don't have a vehicle any more can can get to the polls and, and do so on the the very first day. Then I, I think 
the, the rest of us can can probably manage it. Uh, worth noting for people who haven't voted, um, uh, the past tradition has indicated that usually after the first few days of early voting, the lines die down. Um, uh, probably the best time to vote and get in and out quickly uh, for early voting is that period uh, probably into next week and, and into the week after um, where people are or not. You, you get past the early rush of people who wanted to get it over with, uh, but you're there before the procrastinators show up because I suspect uh, the lines that we saw on day one will be nothing compared to the lines we see on the last day of early voting if the, the primaries were any indication. Uh, and then for, for people like me who are old school and go on the actual day of the election, uh, everyone else will have early voted by then and I'll have the place to myself. At least that's what I'm hoping. As long as you go during the day. If you go, you know, after work on election day, that's when yeah. you get stuck waiting for four or five yeah. hours. And, and that's where I get lucky because in, in our line of work, election day shifts for me always start at about noon. So I'm, I get to the polling place after everyone else has gone to work because I'm going in so late knowing that I'm going to be sitting here until midnight watching election returns. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's the situation for early voting. It seems generally to be, to be going smoothly. It was interesting, if I can interrupt yeah, one yeah. last time. Uh, Dallas Woodhouse, the director of the, uh, of the uh, state Republican Party, uh, at a press conference earlier in the week said uh, about a number of topics said, you know, I know that Republicans aren't really traditionally big fans of early voting, but we want to encourage you to go ahead and early vote anyway. If you're uh, Republicans, just get out there. So I guess there are some strategic advantages to uh, staking out a certain ground uh, ahead of time. If you if, if it looks like there's a big or a low turnout in, uh, early of early voting with your party, I guess that could play into uh, strategics. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me given the uh, sort of uh, stories coming out about the Trump campaign these days that if you're a Republican uh, supporting Trump, uh, perhaps you, you'd hope that uh, other fellow Republicans vote before they hear something about Trump uh, that, that goes beyond what we've already heard. Uh, there's there's probably some oppo research that someone is, is waiting to unleash the week before election day that, that may... Uh, target him. So there's probably an advantage to going ahead and getting people uh, on record so they, they, they can't change it if they hear something that makes them change their mind between now and, and the actual election day. Yeah. Uh, well, so speaking of other uh, candidates, we did have the uh, presidential debate this week, uh, which was uh, interesting in and of itself, but there's probably another 200 podcasts you can listen to that go into detail on that. Uh, but we did have the governor's debate uh, this week, and that brought up a few interesting topics out of that beyond just the the back and forth we've heard uh, between Roy Cooper and Pat McCrory before. Craig, you uh, tuned into that. Uh, what, what was the takeaway from, from that night? Well, I don't, I, in terms of the overall takeaway, I, I, I don't know that anybody, either candidate really struck, you know, made big leaps and bounds. I thought uh, uh, Roy Cooper looked a little more relaxed than, uh, than he had in the first debate or the last debate. Um, but aside from that, there were a couple, it was kind of predictable topics, but there were a couple odd spinoffs out of that. It was kind of a mini bombshell during the, uh, during the, uh, one point during the debate when Cooper told McCrory something to the effect of, well, you know, you are under uh, FBI investigation. And, and McCrory said, you should resign right now on the spot. You should apologize. And uh, afterwards, he, the candidates met separately with the reporters, and uh, and he was still fuming about that, saying he still should resign. But we asked him, this this had to do with a, a, a federal investigation that we knew was going on end of last year, early this year, into a major political contributor uh, receiving contracts for private maintenance of the state prisons. And, um, uh, and it was, he was a, connected to... Um, the governor in that way and there was we wrote some stories about that and there was some federal inquiry i'm not sure what the right word is is it a probe or is it an investigation or what 
But uh, as far as we knew, this was still the status quo, still ongoing. The feds tend to take as long as they want on these things, years sometimes. But uh, in this case, we tried to pin McCrory down afterwards, and he said, well, I, I've been told that it's it's dropped. And as a matter of fact, the FBI told me. So that next day, we started checking around and found out from the U.S. Attorney's Office that, in fact, uh, uh, they had kind of quietly dropped the investigation. Um, they had told McCrory about it some time ago. We don't know when. But McCrory never told anybody. The feds never told anybody. So the attorney general kind of walked into it, uh, to a yeah, trap that I don't know you he, could he have. He thought first... he had some good oppo research yeah, on the governor, okay. but I guess he, he didn't. He read the news and observed yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there was that. The other interesting thing was, um, that was a little perplexing is at one point, uh, they were asking, the moderators were asking McCrory about a meeting he had last year with Duke Energy uh, people over coal ash. And they pressed him, well, what, what were you talking about? And he, and he said, well, I didn't take notes, but I, I did tell, uh, tell them, I told Duke Energy that I would be vetoing the coal ash bill. Well, we don't know what he's talking about there because the coal ash bill, the current one, uh, the, setting out the whole program for, uh, for coal ash was not... Uh, um, was not even written until this year. So uh, we're a little confused about the chronology there. Yeah, and it looks like the Cooper campaign is pouncing on that. Both, both sides right. seem to want to accuse the other of lying, of lying at right. certain moments in, in the debate and try to get some additional mileage out of having that debate since it is right. the, the last opportunity for them. And um, yeah. certainly seen watching that uh, both candidates uh, seem to do relatively well, but uh, McCrory almost seemed to be, the, be more energetic in some ways that he just – really seemed to enjoy being there, which I guess and afterwards he was he calling did. for more debates and yeah, yeah, wanted, wanted another stab at him. I think that was part of their little strategy. Was they've been, that, they actually started months ago. They were have been pushing for more debates all along. And uh, Cooper, I mean, McCrory said something at the beginning of the debate about that and then afterwards walked into the press room and was still talking about it, saying, you know, I'm, that, that went great. I'm ready for some more, but you won't find Roy debating and, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Well, Will, you had a fact check, I believe, on the uh, governor's race this week. Yeah, we looked into a, um, a claim that uh, Roy Cooper made. Uh, he said that uh, Pat McCrory had raised taxes on the middle class in 67 different ways. And this was kind of a, uh, a classic half-true in PolitiFact parlance, where it's something that was technically correct but there's kind of a whole lot missing beneath the surface um you know for instance a lot of these you know 67 different ways that uh you know new service taxes were you know either created or increased or you know tax deductions were cuts things like that a lot of them didn't really apply to the typical person for instance one of the 67 was a new service tax on recharging fire extinguishers. Oh, I do mine, I do mine all the time. <laughs> well, if you do it personally, you don't have to pay any tax. Oh, good. So. Yeah, that's good to know. <laughs> but, um, you know, and another was on boat repairs and things like that. So, you know, it was... Uh, Once again. <laughs> yeah. So, I have a leaky boat, y'all. Right. Some of them, you know, were things that were pretty ubiquitous, like car repairs and things like that. But a lot of them were kind of, you know, eh, you know... A lot of people are never going to see this in their entire lives, or if they do, it's not going to be, you know, very often. And then at the same time, also, uh, you know, uh, Cooper didn't really give McCrory any credit for some of the tax cuts that he has instituted with the income tax changes that he and the General Assembly have passed. So since, you know, uh, Cooper was right on the numbers on that, you know, kind of missing some context, um, that that earned it a half true. Um, so, and... Uh, 
yeah, we had we had a couple other fact checks um, from other races as well. Um, the uh, the national Politifact people actually uh, grabbed one from the Senate race um, with Deborah Ross saying that Richard Burr had voted against the Violence Against Women Act, um, and that's been kind of a uh, uh, a common refrain in her campaign. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of used as a counterpoint to the the claims that Burr and, and his supporters are making about her uh, criticism. She raised uh, concerns, I guess, about the sex offender registry. So she's sitting back and saying, "Well, you didn't vote for the Violence Against Women Act. So what was the, the background on that?" Right. Well, as people who have been around for a little while will know, Burr wasn't actually in Congress when it was initially passed. Um, but since he joined Congress in the 90s, it's come up for reauthorization, I believe, four times. And um, he did vote against it one of those times. Uh, but the other three times, it just kind of passed without necessarily um, a recorded vote. You know, it usually passed on like a voice vote. Um, or, you know, whatever other terminology they use. Congress has so many yeah. <laughs> arcane terms. But, you know, basically a vote where, you know, they just kind of say, eh, well, no one seems to be really objecting to this, so we're just going to go ahead and pass it again. Um, so, uh, you know, Burr's campaign argued, hey, you know, this has passed four times and I only voted against it once. Um, and so it, it was another one of those things where, you know, what – what Ross said was technically true that he had voted against it. Um, you know, he had also voted for it or at least allowed it to pass more times than he had voted against it. So that also got a half true. Um, and then leaving the w- world of nuance entirely, uh, we had a Donald Trump uh, claim. He was talking in Wisconsin earlier this week and said um, that it's possible that in 2008, Barack Obama only won North Carolina because of non-citizens voting. And, you know, that's pretty shocking. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's the one you, you hadn't heard too much before, and uh, it wasn't something that John McCain raised uh, on the, the day after the election or the months after the election that it had been stolen from him or anything like that. Right. And so, you know, we, we kind of looked into this, um, and uh, we actually uh, called up... Uh, old friend of the podcast, uh, Pat Gannon, who is now the spokesman for the State Board of Elections. Yeah, long, long-time host, <laughs> now a source of uh, val- valuable information about the election. And um, he uh, he got up to speed on it real quick. He sent us a report from 2008 that showed actually in 2008, um, uh, while Barack Obama won by about 14,000 votes, there were 23 reports that year of non-citizens either voting or attempting to register to vote. Um, And a little caveat to that study, that doesn't even necessarily mean immigrants, which is what Donald Trump and his campaign talked about later. It could also just mean people from other states who were trying to, you know, vote here, register to vote here, you know, college kids or things like that. Um, And they don't even know if any of those 23 or how many of them were actually uh, found to be valid in the court system. They just kind of reported them and uh, he said, while they do track those now, they didn't track them back in 2008. So, you know, that would have to mean, you know, for this claim to be true, that for every one person that got caught, maybe, even if all of those 23 were true, another eight, 900, 1,000 or more would have slipped through the cracks. And w- we talked to several uh, political experts and, you know, professors, researchers, et cetera, and all of them said, no, that's just kind of 
ridiculous and absurd and could never happen. And um, and then we also, Donald Trump was citing a study, but it has been pretty widely debunked by a lot of people in the political science community um, for, for a variety of technical reasons that you can read all about if you go read the fact check. Yeah, um. well, and it sort of, uh, I guess, uh, bolsters his uh, claims that it has been making such uh, big news in the national media this week about uh, whether or not he's going to accept the results of the election. And that's something he said uh, he, yeah. he would keep us in suspense on at the debate. Uh, then the following day, I think he said something effective, uh, he'll accept the results if he wins. Uh, so when you, you uh, question about these sort of things, and, and this is a uh, example uh, he seems to like to cite, uh, sort of the, the flip side of that, I, I, I tried to localize the story of the rigging election this week and uh, tried to reach out to Republican candidates uh, near the top of the ballot uh, locally as to whether they uh, shared the same concerns that Trump had about uh, whether the election results will be valid um, and whether uh, the loser in any race should immediately concede to the winner. Um, I got sort of a mixed bag of responses on that from, from Richard Burr. I had a one-sentence statement that uh, effectively said he's not doesn't have any concerns about the validity of the election results uh, from Dallas Woodhouse at the Republican Party. Uh, he said something to the effect that he, the Republican Party wasn't aware that election results were optional. Uh, again, not necessarily I getting into... I that line. That was yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of a, a one-sentence. It was a great way to sort of avoid having to necessarily say something directly negative about the candidate at the top of your party's ticket, but at the same time very clearly uh, dismissing that. That uh, seemed to make the rounds yesterday. I think last time I looked, the, when I tweeted that comment from him, I'd come up to like 700 retweets on that. So <laughs> I think he struck a nerve. And it was it was actually the, the rare occasion that I was seeing Democrats on Twitter responding and saying, you know, way to go Dallas Woodhouse. I'm like, wow, this is, uh, you know. <laughs> Does anybody even think it's possible to throw a presidential election or to rig it somehow? I mean, is yeah. No, even- <laughs> everyone I talked to said it's it- – yeah. Not only unheard of, but just in theory, it's completely impossible. In the real world, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, because I I mean, there are concerns that people continue to express about uh, voter fraud in this state that people worry that not having the photo ID requirement that was struck down by the court might result in some some people being someone claiming to be someone they're not. Um, but I think most even the people who are concerned about that don't think that it could be widespread enough to sway an election. Maybe a local election when it's just a few votes back and forth, they worry that you know a few people might uh, reduce the integrity of the election. Granted, there aren't many uh, well-documented cases of this actually happening. Um, Although a few people will come with up with their own examples. I've had a few emails the last few days since we, we did a story on sort of how the election process in North Carolina works and uh, what's, what's there as a safeguard to prevent uh, any sort of uh, major voter fraud issues. And I've had a few people emailing me to say, well, I've heard of this incident, uh, and how come you didn't mention this incident of voter fraud? But uh, you know, there's nothing really that says that there's anything super widespread and certainly not on, on a level that you could – get as many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of votes necessary to actually sway a presidential election. And the process is so, is so uh, individual or individualized. I mean, it decentralizes the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, yeah, every state individual does state, different. every yeah, individual yeah. county yeah. does it on their own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, and, and in this state, it's worth noting that because of the way the law is set up, uh, we have a Republican governor, therefore every county election board, whether it's a Republican county or a heavily Democratic county, uh, the county board is two Republicans, one Democrat, and those are the people who appoint uh, the chief judge for, for every precinct who will, will sort of decide on uh, any irregularities that come up. Uh, so there's there's that. And I think on the, the other side, we are hearing concerns that uh, there will be some sort of like vigilante 
voter intimidation issues with people who are, are serving effectively as poll watchers. Um, there's some pretty uh, strict rules in place about that in terms of what you can do at the polls. And the uh, Board of Elections uh, for North Carolina this week actually did something that I, I think may have been unprecedented for them was sending out a thing saying we're working with law enforcement to ensure that, that they know the rules and that they're uh, perhaps patrolling some of the polling places as yeah, needed. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, so that's uh, clearly trying to anticipate some concerns people have about uh, people coming out and, and perhaps harassing voters that they think may not be eligible to vote or may mm-hmm. not be voting a certain way uh, to try to make sure that, that people aren't worried about that, that that's not something that's going to happen. And I think so far with the uh, early voting locations, we haven't seen anything like that. It's it's just your standard uh, people from a campaign or from a party are saying, hey, can I give you this piece of material about right. candidate X or you know the Republican Party Slater or whatever it may be. But, yeah, so it's a lot going on in the, the next couple of weeks uh, as, as far as that goes. Um, we've got a few more candidate visits coming up. Um, we've had Tim Kaine here uh, in North Carolina this week. Um, Donald Trump is out in western North Carolina today, Friday, as, as I understand it. And then Hillary Clinton, I guess, is coming Sunday. Craig, you wrote a little about the Clinton uh, campaign appearance uh, we have any sense of where she's going or what she's talking about? We don't know as of this hour where she's going to be uh, Sunday other than in Raleigh or what time. Uh, and then she's going to be in Charlotte at UNC Charlotte at about 5.30. And then um, I believe accompanying her is this group of mothers. They're called Mothers of the Movement, um, mothers of people like Eric Garner and people who have been killed in police violence and gun violence. And she's going to be talking about uh, criminal justice reform. So... Uh, uh, the, the mothers group is going to be in Durham on Saturday, I think, and then again, I think in Winston Salem. But um, but Hillary's just coming on Sunday. Yeah, so. and then I think they've got a couple of celebrities I've not quite heard of that other yeah, people may be familiar with uh, <laughs> coming this weekend as well. So we're going to be seeing probably a lot more of the candidates uh, in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll be keeping us busy for sure. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with uh, headliners of the week. Stay with us. Do you suffer from the heartbreak of brain rot, feeling bored, sluggish, listless, not had a new idea in days, using electronic gizmos without a clue why they work? Now there's help. Ham Radio, guaranteed to stimulate your corroding neurons and open a whole new world of excitement. To learn more about Ham Radio, go to helloradio.org. Side effects of Ham Radio usage include mental stimulation, desire for education, new career paths, understanding of technology, and cases of addiction have been reported. If you experience any of these symptoms, you're welcome. Ham Radio, it's not your granddaddy's radio anymore. Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Head, 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 headliner of the week. And welcome back. It is indeed time for Headliner of the Week, the segment where we uh, have to ask our panelists to lobby for the biggest uh, headline or headliner of, uh, of this week in the news. Uh, and we're going to start uh, with Will Doran. Will, who's your headliner of the week? My headliner is Arnold O. Jones II. He is a judge in Wayne County, and he was convicted today, Friday, uh, for attempting to bribe a federal agent, get this, with two cases of Bud Light. Um, A, what, $12 value? (laughs) Right. Well... And see, that's where we get into it. Um, you know, obviously he was he was convicted on you know numerous charges related to bribery and corruption. Um, his uh, the judge's lawyers have 
indicated that perhaps the uh, the charges were a bit uh, aggressive or you know something of that nature because he serves on the Innocence Commission and he kind of indicated that perhaps it was retaliation for his you know from law enforcement from his service on the Innocence Commission. Mm-hmm. I think it's just because he was trying to give the guy Bud Light. I mean, he, you know, I'm, if you're gonna I'm the beer columnist somebody, yeah. here as well. And, you know, we're we're living in North Carolina. We have so much good state beer here. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you think, like, like a really good rare beer from a really well-respected craft brewery, that, that could sway a judge. But Bud Light. It yeah. should probably be a state statute. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there should be a criminal offense, in other words. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, two cases of Bud Light, you know, you can get a, a nice you know 12 pack from you know any national craft brewery or yeah go go to your local bottle shop get one of those fancy you know wine bottles that are filled with you know the rare beer of you know of whatever style the agent likes you know i th- i think that's why you know he might have really yeah. come after him well yeah i mean if someone tried to bribe me with uh, a bud light you know that would become the story i w- you wouldn't get anything good out of me for that but um I would laugh at you, and then I would write a story about it. So right. I think maybe the, uh, the 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 folks involved in this case uh, uh, took the same approach with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what was the guy's name? Arnold Jones. Arnold Jones the okay. second. Arnold Jones the uh, second. The judge uh, in the Bud Light case uh, is in the hat for headliner of the week, and we'll go next to Craig Jarvis. Craig, who's your headliner? Well, uh, on a more serious note, as they say, this there was a uh, a truly serious a uh, firebombing of the. Uh, uh, the uh, Orange County Republican Party headquarters in Hillsboro over the weekend. And uh, that attracted national news media, who uh, I think ought to just stay camped out here in the state because they always seem to find something to cover. And uh, the governor went out, visited it one day, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, and there was probably a couple dozen reporters there from the national publications and uh, Fox News and all sorts of people. And, uh, you know, they weren't there to get the police story about who threw the bomb. It was really more about the political implications. I think if this had happened, you know, last year in the middle of the summer, this might have been a brief or might not have been a big story. But the climate we're in now, the election uh, the election uh, pending and uh, just all the uh, talk of just all the rhetoric. That's what the national press wanted to know. Does, is this an indication of the political rhetoric and almost violence that, that we're hearing more of these days? Yeah, well, and I guess Donald Trump immediately, within a couple hours of the news breaking on Sunday, tweeted something that he's blaming animals with the Democratic Party or their Hillary Clinton campaign. Granted, we don't know what the motivation was of the people. They did scrawl something about uh, Nazi Republicans uh, on the wall when uh, they committed the crime, but Hillsborough Police, as far as I know, haven't arrested anybody no, yet, so we don't really know who's no. who's responsible. Were they in any way connected to any sort of campaign or, yeah. or just somebody uh, who, who wanted to um, commit a little act of, of violence? But, uh, yeah, it, it drew a lot of attention. We had Mike Pence, who I guess right. went by the site, um, and then the media jumped on it uh, almost in a matter of hours of the Republicans releasing that. And I was kind of uh, kicking myself on, on Sunday night because I had gotten – before it became uh, a news story through the Republican Party, I'd gotten a couple of tweets from uh, A.J. Dowd, who's a former Republican candidate for Secretary of State, saying, uh, look into this, there was a firebombing. And I I kind of blew it off in my mind because I thought, well, there's no way there would be a firebombing. And if there was, surely I would have heard of it. Right. Um, it so, sounds, yeah. yeah, that was kind of my first thought. <clears throat> it sounds so very dramatic. <clears throat> it know? sounds terrible. And really, you want to kind of minimize it 
I don't know if you should or not, but I mean, it it, it didn't do a huge amount of damage. I mean, it, it did enough damage that it closed down for a while and they lost material. But you would think, was this just kids? Is it vandalism? But the, uh, you know, the Republican Party, the state Republican Party was saying, making it clear this, you know, was far beyond that. That the, it, it was not a sophisticated bomb, but it wasn't just like a, a something explosive in a can of Bud Light to keep that theme going, uh, or was that Coors Light? Yeah, but, Bud uh, Light. Yeah, but, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, this was you know it was a big bottle. It, you know, it, it just it was meant to do damage, and it was clear that, that it would would do that, and potentially you know if somebody had been in there. Yeah, and I think that's the big worry is yeah. you know it may not have done that much damage, but uh, the people who work at these offices, whether they're in the, the Republican office or the Democratic office, are worried. Like, yeah. hey, could this happen to us? Could I yeah, be that's, sitting that's here right. making phone calls on behalf of my candidate and suddenly, you know, a flaming bottle comes yeah. through the window and torches the place or hits right. me in the head or who knows what? But it's there were concerns about retaliation, but that hasn't yeah. happened as far as I, apparently know. there was some like minor vandalism at the Democratic Party offices around the same time. Right. No yeah. idea whether they were connected. And it was the same well, the county. governor blamed anarchists on the attack, which I found interesting. I didn't know if he just right. kind of meant that in general, people who don't like government or yeah, it because, because there is a very active anarchist right. group in yeah, Orange in, County. Yeah, that's hmm. true. And I don't know whether he's um, suggesting that that particular group is to blame or he just thinks that's the sort of thing an anarchist would do as opposed to uh, somebody who, who respects the political system and respects the process in both parties and that sort of thing. Yeah. But so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the police ever come up with a suspect or not, but we so far it's been quiet. It has. Yeah, the we FBI, have, I think, gotten, or ATF or something. ATF was, yeah. is, is assisting the uh, Hillsborough police, and we asked the governor if he'd gotten any inside information about that, and he said no, and I couldn't say if I did, but... But yeah, so definitely for uh, increasing the the level of uh, concern and sort of tensions in, in this election cycle, uh, we've got a GOP firebombing in headline of the week, along with uh, Judge Arnold Bud Light Jones um, as the other option for that. And as much as I like. Uh, Judge Jones and, and this really uh, quirky story, we kind of needed the, the laugh this week with everything else that's going on. Uh, the, the GOP firebombing is certainly a, a serious concern and uh, something we've really never seen, at least in, in recent years, recent elections in this state. So for that reason, I'm going with Craig's pick, uh, the GOP firebombing. And that's all the time we've got for this week on Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell uh, here with Craig Jarvis and Will Doran. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us. And we will talk to you next week with lots more political news. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.